I'm going to open up with a story about my cousin. And I'm going to give you permission to laugh. I, I told this story before, but I don't know. It didn't come across as, as funny because he is in prison and um, he got 15 years. But here's, here's the cool thing. God just recently saved him. And he was one of those where it's just like, okay, there's no hope for him. Yeah, amen. And so he's in segregation. It, it rolls over the last time he was in prison. So he's in lockdown 23 hours. And I hadn't seen him for about two years. And I went to go see him. And he's coming out. And, you know, they, because of COVID, they have him all masked up. And actually, they didn't even give him a mask. He had like some clothing on that was just put around his head all funny. And I haven't seen, again, I haven't seen him, but I've written, he, we write letters and stuff. And, um, and so I know God's just working in his heart. It, humility and love just flows from him. So it's wonderful. But he sits down and I sit down and, you know, you're looking through. It's, it's an old, old prison in East Texas. And you're looking through the plastic glass stuff. And he sits down. The first thing he says to me is, you know, with his mask all funny, he says, brother, it's the end of the world. I thought, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? What are they doing? You had 23 hours in lockdown. It'll do that to you. But that's kind of the sentiment, right, that we have today. It's the end of the world, right? We hear that, well, surely Jesus is coming back now. So with the end of the world right around the corner, there's generally two ways the church responds, right? And maybe you've heard this before. So two ways that we respond. Number one, we say we need more activism. We need more activism. So our world is crumbling around us. What do we do? Well, we go out and fight, right? And we take up political issues and all sorts of things. But sometimes that can kind of seem hopeless because we are doing one thing when really we need to do one million things. Um, and, and usually, not always, but sometimes it's compounded with a sappy theology that says God has lost control of the world, right? So it's like, let's go out and do this because eh, he's not doing much. Well, the second response reacts to the first and says, well, that kind of activism is like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. What's the point? What's the point? And so the response to this activism, right, is what? Well, we just need to go out and preach. We go to the streets and we preach. We evangelize and we save the lost souls, right? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Which is helpful. But this perspective, I think, can be idealistic. Because it says that somehow if we just have a sound message, then everything else will fall into place for the church. Perhaps we need, you know, a healthy perspective of both and a healthy response to both. But today I want to talk about a Christian response that we should have while living in the times that we are living in. So a Christian response that we should have, right, when we consider everything, whatever your eschatology is, right, Jesus coming back soon, the end of the world, Bad things are happening. Well, what should be a response in these times? And, and it is a, a behavior and it's an attitude that the Apostle Paul and especially the Holy Spirit says that it's important. And we're going to talk about thankfulness this morning. Thankfulness. I know it may not really seem 
to fit in most of our responses. Um, at the outset, I do want to mention that this is not your typical thanksgiving-oriented passage, right? So the passage I just read, we're going to talk about thanksgiving. Paul, he says, we're, you know, right, in these last days, the Spirit says. And then he goes on to talk about thankfulness. It's usually not something we go to, but there is something in the passage that we overlook often. And it's this, that it is evil to be thankless for God's gifts. For things like marriage and food. It's evil to be thankless for God's gifts for things like marriage and food. Another way to put it is to say, demon-inspired teaching belittles God's good creation. Right? Demon-inspired teaching belittles God's good creation because that's what he's dealing with. Or we could say it positively and say it's godly to be thankful for God's gifts for things like marriage and food. So we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and the kind of the overarching place that I want to go could be stated like this. What God created is good. I need an amen. amen. I know. I, I'm at a Presbyterian more or less. We're a Reformed. And you know, Presbyterians, that how they say amen? Hmm. And same thing with like Reformed Baptists. It's just hmm. Okay. What God has created is good. And we are to live in these days with thankfulness. So there's nothing profound here. What God has created is good. And we are to live in these days with thankfulness. These days, the times that we're living with all the chaos and confusion. That's our response. I want you to imagine that I come in here one Sunday. And I say this, I say, well, I got to tell you about this deceitful and demonic teaching that is going around in the local churches, right? You'll probably start thinking of Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, which would be reasonable thought. But I say some are even leaving the faith because of it. I say there are terrible false teachers who are saying one thing and doing another. There are liars with perverted consciences. I say there are teaching things inspired by demons and deceitful spirits. It's horrible. And I say, do you want to know what it is? And at this point, your, your mind is racing and you're, you're thinking, it has to be works righteousness, right? Everything's about works righteousness. Or you say, well, it's, it's, it's well, it has to be about the divinity of Christ. You can't get that wrong or the Trinity, right? Paul is all about those things. But I say, no, I say, they are teaching people that marriage and certain foods are bad. And they are teaching that it is godly to belittle things like that. They say, you want to be pure and spiritual? Don't eat, don't marry. Paul, he begins in verse 1, if you look there. In verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, The Spirit expressly says... The Spirit expressly says, so he begins with an explicit statement about what the Holy Spirit says. And then if you look there, it concerns the last days. The Spirit expressly says that in the last days, and, and by the way, the last days in the Scripture, it can mean a few different things, but um, it can mean from the time of the incarnation to the time when Jesus returns with the new earth. And so there is a specific context for Paul. 
but it's also also more broader. But the point is, is that the Holy Spirit has something very specific to say, and it boils down to the fact that what God created is good, and we are to live in these last days with thankfulness for them. And you say, well, why? Well, because a thankless attitude aligns with a demonic perspective. Look there, look. Verse 1, going on, he says, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. And so just, just notice here for a second, notice the strong language. He says deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, right? Now, through our eyes, or at least through my eyes, I would expect him to say, you know, they're, they're teaching black magic or, or something equivalent to an ancient Ouija board, right? Like deceitful spirits teaching of demons, but no. He goes on to talk about food and marriage. And then he goes on to talk about what God created is good and how we should live in thankfulness. You know, another way to put this is even in the times that we're living in, God wants us to enjoy life in thankfulness. He really does. Well, since I have had kids, um, I, I like reading C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia. Can I get a whoop whoop or an amen? Something, something? Hmm. just, you're not Presbyterian, but you're a Baptist. So C.S. Lewis, so Chronicles of Narnia, I love his writing. And I love his writing because he always has his characters enjoying food. No, really, he does. If you read the, like, you can go and type in the Feasts of Narnia, and they just pop up everywhere online. But he, he talks about enjoying food, and enjoying it in such a way that makes you see food in a different light, right? Like, not our American way where we want everything fast, and most of the stuff that we like that tastes good is junk, but it's good, Right? But he paints a picture of the goodness of life through food. And let me, let me give you a passage here. This is one of the feasts. I, I forget where it is. Uh, it's in the Voyage of the Don Treader. There were turkeys and geese and sides of venison. There were pies shaped like ships under full sail or like dragons and elephants. There were ice puddings and bright lobsters and gleaming salmon. There were nuts and grapes, pineapples and peaches, pomegranates and melons and tomatoes. And the smell of the fruit and the wine blew toward them like a promise of all happiness. Everything created by God is good. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, because everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Isn't that wonderful? It is. See, the, 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 argu- the argument and the logic goes like this. Theology that belittles God's creation is demonic. 
because everything created by God is good. Right? See, here's, here's what was happening here in this passage. There were teachers wanting to promote godliness through asceticism. So what is that? Well, that's devaluing God's creations and gifts by abstention. You abstain from things like marriage and food. And we don't want to undervalue God's creation. Well, why? Because everything created by God reveals His glory, goodness, and beauty. See, I, I also think it's sometimes hard for us to think because we think like to be spiritual, you have to like focus on the spiritual, right? But you read the Psalms, you read the Bible and the goodness of God through what He has made and what He has given us, like seeing that and savoring that and, and saying, God, thank you for that. So we don't want to view life and the earth and God's gifts as secondary to God. And I think we do that, right? We try to disassociate the gift from the giver. We want to see the gifts as the means by which thankfulness bubbles up from within us. Let me, let me give you a, a few verses here just on God and the earth, right? So we're talking about living life in thankfulness. What God created is good. And being thankful for those things. For things for like marriage, food, fill in the blank, kids, fellowship, things that we have here in this prosperous country. So, so here, Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Right? That's, I mean, we know that passage but then what does it say? Right? You would expect him maybe to say something else, but he says the whole earth is full of his glory. And actually the Hebrew there could be read as this, the fullness of the earth is his glory. Uh, Psalm 72, 19 says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Numbers 14, 21 says, All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Psalm 89.11 says, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. And then Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Right? Because everything God created is good, He wants us to enjoy life in thankfulness. And it's not easy. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. I have two asides that I want to address. One, what do we do with like disease and suffering and hardship and hunger and famine and abuse and oppression and injustice? But here, I, I want to give you a, a, a few passages that I think are misapplied when we consider this topic. I mean, that's Collins water. Is that Collins water? COVID, these days, yeah, right. Not going to get the COVID. So let me give you a few misapplied passages. Uh, we have passages like 1 John 2.15. So it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
right? So you know this, y'all know this passage, right? Um, it's important to recognize that when the Bible uses one word one way, it may not use it one way than another way, okay? So an example would be salvation can be used nine different times in the Bible in nine different ways. So in other words, when we hear the word world, I think Christians, we go to certain texts like we're not of the world and all of this. He's keen, yeah. We need to understand that it can be used in different ways. So the word world can have positive and negative meanings. In 1 John 2, it is referring to the fallen realm because he defines all that is in the world as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And my point here is that this passage is not asking us to disdain or minimize God's good world. Uh, we have passages like 2 Peter 3, 7. Thank you. We have passages like Peter, 2 Peter 3, 7. It says, By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of of the ungodly, right? And so we think, yeah, God's going to destroy this world. He's going to toss it in a cosmic trash can. Why does all this stuff matter? It doesn't really matter. But, you know, this passage specifically is dealing with the destruction of the ungodly. And it's more, when, when he talks about destroying, you know, you read the uh, flood account, said he destroyed everything from the face of the earth. Well, he, he didn't annihilate the world, right? And so same thing here. God is going to remake this earth. He's going to make it anew, but it's going to be glorious and wonderful. 2 Peter 2.13 says, We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah. So you will and I will be on a new earth forever. We're not going to be in heaven on clouds. We're going to be on new earth. And that's going to be amazing. Because I think I'm still going to fish. I know you say, well, how can you fish if there's no death? And I don't know, but I think I'm going to own a ranch and I'm going to live with my wife. No, we don't have to have marital relations, but I got dibs. Uh, and then we have uh, passages like Philippians 3, 7, right? So again, remember, we're talking about everything God created is good and we want to enjoy life in thankfulness, right? It's, it's not spiritual to, to be like, ah, these things are terrible, Right? Things like marriage, food, relationships, the goodness of life. Uh, sec, uh, Philippians 3, 7 says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, this is probably, I think, one of the most misapplied passages in the Bible. Paul is talking about his credentials in his life of Judaism, right? He lived as a Pharisee. He pursued the Torah to know God. Now, however, that way of life pales in comparison because he knows God through faith in Christ. So in other words, he counts all his credentials that made him a good Jew as rubbish. He's not saying that everything in life in an absolute sense is rubbish, but we know that because he tells us elsewhere, this passage being one, that he values certain things. See, the way I sometimes look at it is, and I think the Bible does, if you want to show that you love God, go love your spouse. You want to be close to God, go lead your family in a godly way. You want to honor and exalt God, well, enjoy what he has made. Don't disdain it. 
right? You want to teach your kids about God? Well, teach them about the goodness of life. That's what I'm trying to do with my kids. When my kid was one years old, um, I would take him to the park. Just, we lived just right around here, and we'd go and look at a tree. Is that funny? The little kids are laughing at me. I thought I heard some laugh. Maybe not at me. But yeah, I'd say, look at this. Look what God has made. This is an amazing. But you think, oh, that's silly. Well, what does Psalm 1-1 open up with? Blessed is the man, right, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the skeet of his sovereigns, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by... It's not like they just came up with that while meditating in a dark room. They were probably looking at a tree and saying, wow, this is what a righteous man is like. God desires that we would be thankful about the goodness of life. Like I said, Emily and I, we want to teach our kids. We're, we're trying to figure out how to teach our kids. It's hard, right, Bill? I mean, what do you teach these people? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Man, it's like sometimes they know more than I do, and then sometimes they don't have a clue what they're doing. But we want to teach them about the good, goodness of life, well, because we serve a good God. Uh, we also want to teach them about evil and all the bad things in life. And in fact, right now, our sons primarily understand God that He is good and that He is going to get rid of all the bad. That's just how they think. So they associate everything good in life with God and they associate everything bad in life with Satan, sin, and death. That's just how they think. And here's the wonderful simplicity of a child. Even when bad things happen, they don't, at least not now, they're not questioning God. It's just... Well, that's from sin, Satan, and death. And I love that. And by the way, in our home, what, a curse word that they have now is they're going to throw you in the lake of fire. Yeah, they, those, Dad, James told me he's going to throw me in the lake of fire. And we say, But as we get older, what do we try to do? Well, we try to reconcile God's goodness and sovereignty with the bad things that happen to us, right? Right, and by the way, I think we should maybe sometimes adopt the simplicity of a child a little bit more where we just say, yeah, we can't reconcile everything, but we know good's from God, bad is not. So I, I, I want to ask this question. How do we view things like cancer and disease in God's good world? How do we view things like cancer and disease in God's good world? And if God wants us to enjoy life in thankfulness, right, because that's what we're talking about, why do we have terrible things happen to us? Right, because, you know, it's easier said than done. Like, I, I can tell you, enjoy life in thankfulness because everything God created is good. And some of you may be having some terrible health problems. Or you may have the death of a loved one. Or you may soon have health problems. And believe me, as you know, it's not so easy to be thankful in those times. 
We have times of seasons of mourning and we have times of seasons of praise. Uh, so how do we make sense of this? Uh, the, the first preliminary point is, right, I, I really can't answer this question on an individual basis. You know, I, I don't know. Like, there's mystery. Like, disease, cancer, all, all of these things. In God's good world, yes, sin and death, that's like the general answer that the Bible gives us. But specifically, when they happen to you as God's child, I don't know. I do know this, that God, He grieves over your pain, discomfort, and sickness. Right? He grieves over your pain, discomfort, and sickness. And in His sovereignty and in His providence, He is here to help you. Right? I think that's just one of the one things we need to remember. That God is here to help us. Jesus, He does not intercede for us because everything is alright. He intercedes because of distress. And the Spirit does not crowd in our hearts with inexpressible groaning because everything is going swimmingly. Right? He cries out because of pain, weakness, that we live in a fallen world. The second thing is that God promises to restore what sin destroys. Right? So, so the first thing is God is here with us in our pain. He grieves over our discomfort. The second thing is God promises to restore what sin destroys and He has begun that process now at the cross, right? I heard Colin talking a little bit about this this morning. He said something to the effect that um, God begins restoring at the cross. It's not necessarily the second coming that we're necessarily hoping for. I don't know how you said it, but just the cross is the focal point right when He begins this process. So God is here to restore what sin destroys. So God is with us in our pain, and He is here to, to make things new. So we have commands to rejoice and give thanks because what God created is good. But then sometimes it's a little harder because of the seasons that we're in. Well, a few weeks ago, I saw a political cartoon. It had a person in a white jumpsuit with a gas mask. And you've probably seen this. He's spraying. So, you know, you, you know the pesticide things that you spray or whatever. He had this on jumpsuit. He's spraying. And then out from the spray, or on his pack, it read Center for Democrat Control. By the way, it could easily say the Center for Republican Control. Because here, the spray came out and it said these words, fear, fear, fear. Right? The media in general, whether you're Republican, Democrat, they, they want to control us by fear. I mean, that's just the narrative these days. So many ways. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. And that's what our culture wants, right? They want us to live in fear. But, and, and here's my point. God wants us to live in thankfulness. He does. He does. I, I chose this passage because I want to make the connection between like the demonic teaching and being thankful and all that. Um, but there's other passages you can go to. Is it 2 Thessalonians or for the end of it where it says, you know, be thankful at all times and whatnot. 
But God wants us to enjoy life in thankfulness. Some seasons are easier to do this than others. But this is where the gospel comes in. Um, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't that amazing? I know the prosperity movement usually gets this all wrong and the abundant life's thing, but don't go there. Listen to what it's saying. It's, it's amazing because it, a biblical theology of the cross should include this idea of being thankful, right? We have the forgiveness of sins. That's a theology of the cross that we don't want to lose. But there's so also, there's more, but not less. There's more that we have. So this passage is from John 10. And by the way, Jesus, he associates stealing, killing, and destroying to the work of the devil, not God. I know, in my tradition, Reformed tradition, we sometimes have this weird view of God's sovereignty where, you know, all these bad things happen and we're like, see, ah, God's mad at you or whatever. It's not helpful. But he gives a purpose statement for why he came to earth. He says that we may have life and have it abundantly. And then he's going to connect the cross, right? Laying down his life in verse 11. So verse 10, he says, he says a purpose for coming. I have came that you may have life. So he's telling us clearly a purpose. In the Greek, it's even more clear. He's saying, I have come that you may have life abundantly. So in other words, he's not saying, I have come that you may escape this life and go to heaven, right? That's not his main point. He's saying, I have come that you may have it abundantly now, which is part of the gospel, right? The amazing good news that we have now in a fallen world, we can enjoy life abundantly. Again, it doesn't cross over equally to all of us at all times. But the word for abundant, it means pertaining to a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. I know that's a mouthful. Right? But the logic goes like this. The gospel is about Jesus coming to earth to lay down his life that we might live considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. And even in these times, right, we want to, we want to work hard at it. It's not easy. I get so worried and anxious sometimes and frustrated and angry at all the terrible things that we see played out in our society. Isn't it horrible? It's terrible, right? It really is. And you have to identify those things, especially in America. We have subtle evil, right? Evil, evil that just kind of sneaks up on us. It's right under our notice. We don't even notice it. Right? You can go to other countries, right? Afghanistan, they're beheading people and whatnot and stuff. And that, but we have, we're dealing with an evil that is so pervasive. It pervades everything. It's in our pockets, right? It's in our iPads. It's everywhere. It's in our backyard. And so it's hard to be thankful in these times. But we want to work hard and we want to remember that Jesus, He came to give His life that we could live abundantly even in these kinds of times. 
So yeah, we, we want to be active in our community. Right? We do. We want to be active in, in the right way. We want to have the right motives. Right? We're not just going to go out there and try to change things all by ourselves without the Spirit's help. We want to be active. And we want to preach the gospel. And we want to have a powerful gospel message. But under both of those things, right, our attitude should be a thankful attitude toward God.